Good morning, Plum Creek. I want to welcome everybody here today, especially if you happen to be visiting with us. We're in the second week of our series called The Fight of Your Life, and the purpose of this series is to build healthy relationships. But you know, healthy relationships don't just happen automatically. We need to be proactive and intentional. We need to fight for them. And it's great to see that video from our women's retreat last weekend. That group of women did just what we're talking about. They carved out time to build healthy relationships, not only with each other, but with God as well. Now, this morning, we're going to focus on the relationships we have with our kids. And I want to let you know up front, this message is for parents, but it's also for anyone who cares about kids. It's for anyone who could be used by God to make a difference in the life of a younger person. So basically, this is for all of us. And I want to explain something about today's message. Normally, our sermons are planned out months in advance. We know the main text from Scripture and the main takeaway about 12 weeks out. This week, though, I had to call an audible because I just need to share what's on my heart. So here we go. I have been a parent for exactly 10 years as of today. Luke is our oldest, and today is his 10th birthday. Now, a lot of you know our family, but some of you may not, so I want to show you a picture of everybody. That's me and my wife, Hannah, and our three kids. Like I said, Luke is 10, Kenna is 7, and Leah Claire is 6. So yes, I am a parent, but the truth is, I still have a lot to learn about parenting. This week, I started trying to picture what will happen over the next 10 years, all the changes that our kids will go through, and I was thinking, man, we better buckle up. This decade coming up could be a wild ride, but all that's in the future, so I don't want to stand up here and act like I'm some kind of expert when it comes to raising kids. What I do know is that parenting is hard. There is no simple formula for training up a child. It doesn't always go the way you expected it to go or the way you hoped it would go. At times, parenting can leave you feeling guilty or defeated or just full of worries and fears. But then at other times, parenting can bring a joy that's hard to find anywhere else. So as I wrestled with all this, I started asking, God, what would you want to share with us today? Now, God didn't speak to me directly, but all week I found myself repeatedly drawn to a passage of Scripture that is fairly simple, but it's also profound. The passage that came to mind is a prayer. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3, and if you were at the women's retreat, this will be familiar to you because that theme rooted comes from this passage. The Apostle Paul is the one praying here, and he's praying for a group of his friends. These these friends are all members of the church in Ephesus. They're all followers of Jesus. And we should think of Paul kind of like a spiritual father to these people because he played a key role in leading them to Christ. Now, in the first part of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes about how Jesus changes everything. Through Jesus, God has made grace and salvation available to all people all over the world. And through Jesus, 
Anyone can have a restored relationship with God. You don't have to be separated from God, either in this life or in eternity. By the time Paul gets to verse 13, he is feeling especially grateful and thankful for what Jesus has done. But then in verse 14, he writes this. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's what I wanted to read here today. And it may be that these verses don't immediately jump out at you as being profound or amazing, and that's okay. At first, I wasn't blown away either, but after I spent some time really letting that passage sink in, I started to see the power in these words. So I'm asking that God will help me explain this here today. And first, let's try to grasp what Paul's prayer is about. So Paul's writing to his friends, and he says, guys, I pray so hard for you. I I keep praying that God will give you the most important thing you can ever have. And what is that thing exactly? Well, if you ask me, it, it all goes back to the love of Christ. Paul is desperate for these friends to know the love of Jesus in a deeper way. And isn't that interesting? Paul is not asking that God would keep his friends healthy or make them happy or successful. He's not asking that they would accomplish a particular set of goals or even behave in a certain way. Instead, Paul says, my prayer is that you will experience the love of Christ like never before. But why does Paul pray for this? Well, I believe it's because Paul knows the love of Jesus has the power to transform everything about a person's life. The more you experience his love, the more you will love him in return. And the more you love him, the more you will trust him and follow him and become who he wants you to be. It is no exaggeration to say that when you truly experience the love of Christ, everything else falls into place. So like I said, this prayer is simple but it is profound. And you know what really stands out to me here? I think about all the times when I've been a part of a small group Bible study or a Sunday school class or any kind of gathering where Christians come up with a list of prayer requests. In a group like that, how often do we hear somebody speak up and say, hey, I have someone I'd like us to pray for because I really want this person to experience the love of Christ. As I look back, I have occasionally heard those kinds of requests, but that's not what we normally bring up. What do we usually pray about? Well, you often hear requests related to sickness or surgeries or relational problems or financial problems. In other words, tangible things. So what's the deal here? 
Why isn't it more common that our prayers would resemble Paul's prayer? In my opinion, the problem is that we grossly underestimate the power of the love of Christ. We don't quite understand the tangible difference that His love makes. But you know, I really believe we could grow in our understanding. One thing that helps is to think about this in the context of real-life relationships. And with that in mind, I want to share a story with you. I have a friend named Jeff, Jeff Hale. Uh, Jeff is a minister on the north side of Cincinnati. Uh, he used to be on staff with Movement Church up in Newport. Some of you are familiar with that church. But Jeff and his wife, Jessica, have five kids, including their adopted daughter, Maylee. They shared a story on Facebook this week, and I contacted Jeff, and he gave me permission to share this with all of you. On Tuesday, Jeff said, six and a half. That's how old my baby girl was when she first heard the N-word. It's a day that I knew would happen, but always wanted to push back another year, another month, even another day. Jessica was the one who explained what happened. Apparently, she had been shopping all day with the kids, and they had been really behaved through several different stops. But at one last store, one of the kids got his finger smashed, and he started crying. That's when this unbelievably rude lady turns to this child and yells at him to shut up. And at that point, Maylee and the others begin to cry because they're just scared of this lady. So there's a little back and forth between Jessica and the rude woman, and finally the woman says, oh, I love kids, I just hate crying, and I hate, and that's when she used the N-word. Now, I'm telling you, when I read that story, I felt like the wind was just sucked out of my chest. I was angry and dumbfounded and heartbroken all at the same time. And just a side note, this story is proof that racism is alive and well, and it's just as ugly and hurtful and sinful as it ever was. And one more side note, Jessica shared that in the store that day, no one spoke up for her or her daughter. Now, I wasn't there that day, and I'm guessing you weren't either, but someday we may be witnesses to a similar ugly incident. And for all of us who claim to represent Christ, I pray that we will speak up on behalf of anyone who's treated this way. Silence just is not good enough. But now let's think for a second about six-year-old Maylee. This was her first experience with that kind of ignorance, but it won't be her last. So I, I got to thinking, what would I pray for in this situation? What request would I bring to God on Maylee's behalf? To be honest, my prayer is what Paul prayed for the Christians in Ephesus. I want this precious little girl to know and experience the love of Christ. And in the days and years ahead, I want her to know that she is valued by God beyond what she could possibly comprehend. I want her to be confident about his love. I, I want that love to sink into her soul so that she never has to doubt it, no matter what anyone else says or does. And what difference will it make if she has that comfort and that confidence from the love of Christ? Well, the more she knows his love, 
the more she will run to him. And the more she runs to him, the more she will be made complete. She'll, she'll grow to become the person God created her to be. That's what happens when I connect Paul's prayer to a real-life person like Maley. This prayer comes to life. So think about your son or your daughter or just any young person who is close to you. Maybe it's a small boy who's just afraid all the time. Maybe it's a teenage girl who sees herself as worthless because that's how others have treated her. Maybe it's a young man who currently wants nothing to do with God or the church, and right now he says he just doesn't believe any of that anymore. In each of those situations, what does that young person need? It's the same thing. Each of those individuals needs to experience the love of Christ in a deep and personal way. If we went around the room, that's what we all need. So let's bring this around to those of us who are parents. If you are a mom or a dad, I want to ask you a question. What is your number one goal for your kids? Now, if you go out into the world and you ask that question to a bunch of random parents, I know the most popular answer. They'll say, I just want my kids to be happy. And listen, it's not a bad thing to want your kids to be happy, but the reality is the pursuit of happiness does not lead to lasting happiness. And why is that? Well, it's because God created all of us with a higher goal. The goal is to know Him and love Him, to bring Him glory and to live with Him forever. That's our purpose. And the only way to live out that purpose is through a relationship with Jesus. So if you want me to give you my number one goal for my kids, here's my answer. My number one goal is for my children to experience the love of Christ and to follow Him closely. I am 100% convinced that if I want what is best for my children, nothing else can come ahead of that goal. Now, if you disagree with me on this, I will very respectfully but unapologetically do my best to try to change your mind. However, I do know that many of us here agree this is the top priority. Your wording may be a little different, but your goal is the same as mine. So for all of us who are on the same page, the question becomes, how can we encourage our kids toward that goal? See, here's the challenge. None of us can truly control our kids. We can't make all their decisions for the rest of their lives. We might wish we could, but children don't come with a remote control. So here's the hard truth. There is no way anyone can force a child to follow Jesus. And sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves. We carry the weight of every bad decision that they make. But whenever I start to feel that way, I have to remember that my kids are not really my kids. They belong to God, and He loves them more than I ever could So some of us need to relax and realize that we can't carry the ultimate responsibility for how our kids turn out. But at the same time, God has given parents a very significant role. God has placed us in a position of powerful influence. If you are a parent, you have this window where your kids will be in your home for 18, maybe 30 years. And whatever time God gives you, A parent has an opportunity to reflect the love of Christ. 
And, and let me be clear about this. There are many, many times when that love requires you to confront your children or discipline them or make them do things they just don't want to do. That's all part of the job description. This job is a huge responsibility because our children get a picture of who God is by looking at us. That's an amazing privilege, but it's a little scary too. So in the time we have left here, I want to share some practical strategies. I want to think about how we can encourage our kids toward that goal. Our desire and our prayer is that they will experience the love of Christ and follow Him closely. And once again, I'm not the expert here. I could give you so many examples where I have been imperfect as a parent. There were times when I lost my temper and I raised my voice and I scared my kids in a way that's not healthy. I saw the fear in their eyes, and even though I apologized and asked for their forgiveness, I hate that they've seen that side of me. So please know, we're all in this together. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or any other adult who's pouring into the life of a child, we're all flawed, but we can still be used by God. So let's look at a few steps we can take. The first one has to do with our priorities. We can say that the number one goal is our number one goal, but if our lives don't back that up, our kids will get a different message. So we have to start here. Align the life of your family around that main goal. So this is, this is about the weekly schedule and the rhythm of life. So how do, how do we do this? Well, you have to step back and look at the habits of your family. You have to look at every influence that makes its way into your child's head and your child's heart. And then you ask, is blank, whatever it is, is blank encouraging my child to experience the love of Christ and follow him closely? Now, if we're serious about that main goal and we answer this question honestly, we will end up doing things differently than the rest of the world. There's a quote from Walt Disney's brother, Roy, that makes a lot of sense to me. He said, when your values are clear to you, making decisions becomes easier. Now, that doesn't mean that decisions are always easy. Sometimes it's tough to go against the flow of the surrounding culture. But it is very helpful to have a value-based framework for making decisions. It's clearer. But let's get specific. What kinds of decisions are we talking about here? Well, let's take the example of our weekly schedules. Over the time that I have been alive, extracurricular activities have grown to the point where they will take over your life if you let them. So here's a question. Do you have a clear plan for where your family draws the line? Do you know how much time you are willing to devote to extracurricular activities? I saw a meme that was pretty thought-provoking. It says... There is a 0.0296% chance your child will become a professional athlete. There is a 100% chance your child will stand before Jesus. Now, don't read this as some kind of scare tactic. It's just a simple fact. And if we as parents believe that this is true, then we don't want to imply to our kids that it's okay for Jesus to take the back seat to anyone or anything. And don't get me wrong, I love sports. I know that sports can be a great environment for building character and learning spiritual lessons. But my wife and I have made a commitment. We do want our kids to participate in sports and other activities, 
But our children will always be consistently involved with church. Because here's the deal. Our children will pick up on our priorities based on what we actually do more than what we say. Let's look at another example. Let's look at the influence of media. Now, we all know that kids have to deal with a tsunami of media every day. Everything from TV to movies to video games to YouTube to every form of social media and on and on. And this is one of the reasons why parenting is more challenging than ever. But, you know, growing up is also more challenging than ever. Because what is the effect of all that media? Not just the content, but the sheer quantity. The reality is, we don't know the full effects because we're in new territory. This entire generation is serving as guinea pigs. We'll know more in a few years. But here are some things I do know. Media can be divided into several categories. Some is helpful and beneficial. Some is the spiritual equivalent of cotton candy, and some is toxic to your soul. Now, a lot of what's out there is actually a combination of two or more of these categories, but the point is, all media has the potential to influence. A long time ago, I heard a professor say that every movie, every TV show, every form of media preaches a sermon. They're telling you, this is what's true. This is what matters. This is what you should do with your life. So are we thinking about the sermons and the messages that come into our homes? Do we realize that at least some of these messages will take root in our minds and in our hearts? And if 90% of what a child takes in is completely contrary to Scripture, why would we be surprised when the voice of God doesn't seem to carry much influence? But let's be honest, it is very difficult to stay up to date on every form of media. It's also difficult to set limits on content and quantity. This issue becomes a battleground very quickly. So for parents who are already busy or stressed out, what do you do? Well, I know this can seem overwhelming, but the truth is, parents have a responsibility to turn up certain influences while turning others down. Again, it's part of the job. And this is true not just with everything that comes out of the entertainment industry, it's also true with social media and friendships. Here's what the role of a parent is like. You can imagine yourself in front of a set of dials where you can, you can manage the influences that are getting through. You can say, okay, I know my child needs more of this and less of that. When a child is younger, you have a lot of control, but the older they get, you start to lose access to those dials. So while we still have time, we need to be as intentional as possible. But how do real-life parents deal with this task? Well, there's a Christian author and Bible teacher named Jenny Allen, and her kids are a little older than mine. And someone asked her how to raise strong girls. And I want to share her response. She said, number one, don't over-parent them. Don't nag, don't do their work for them, don't bail them out of every trouble, don't hold them back from experiences or trials that will shape them. Number two, but do overprotect them from the world. Wait and wait and wait some more before giving them social media. When they complain, show them the research and say, tough, be the parent. Require any boys that want to do as much as text them to meet with you first. 
You can imagine the stories we have to tell about this one. It's rare that people do this, but it scares off the ones that should be scared off. With TV and movies, why train them to be exactly like the world? We are sticklers about this. Our older ones look back and can already thank us. Lots of shark tank and animal planet at our house. Number three, help them see their gifts and use them. You will see their strengths before them. Encourage the tar out of them. The whole world has forgotten how to do that. They face more criticism than you or I can imagine. Overdo it with praise about the real things you see God doing in their lives. Give them a vision for how God could work in their future, too. And number four, fight the lies. They are believing them. The lies are everywhere. Assume they are thinking constantly about how they don't measure up, how they need to be prettier or thinner, how, how they are a disappointment. Fight for them. And they don't need a better self-esteem. They need to know they are loved and set apart by Jesus. That's good stuff right there. There's a lot of wisdom in Jenny's answer. But the truth is, that's her family. You have to decide what you will do in your home. And we may not like it, but the Bible is silent on some of the issues that we wrestle with today. If you're asking, what is the right amount of screen time for my kids? The Bible doesn't exactly tell you that. But we can look to general principles and wisdom that we find all over Scripture, and we can ask God to help us apply that wisdom to our specific situation. So I want to close by giving you just a few more strategies to encourage our kids to experience the love of Christ and follow Him closely. With that goal in mind, one thing that's critical is to invest in the relationship between you and your child. And why is that important? Well, there is a direct correlation between the depth of your relationship and the amount of your influence. The deeper the relationship, the more influence you have. So spend quality time and quantity time. Initiate conversations. Some of them should be serious and some not at all serious. But this relational foundation is essential if you want them to talk to you about things that really matter. So find ways to build connection into everyday life. I heard about one family that has a conversation every night. They call it high-low, and everyone has to go around and share the low point and the high point of their day. Now, if you don't normally do that and you try it tomorrow, is there a chance that your kids will think it's lame? Well, yeah, that's quite possible. But find whatever works for you and stick with it. Sooner or later, it will become normal, and down the road, you will be glad that you made the investment. Another strategy I recommend is to establish habits that point your child to Jesus. Now, that does include regular involvement with church, but it goes way beyond that. Your faith has to intersect with everyday life. Otherwise, it won't seem real. So think about ways to incorporate prayer and scripture and spiritual conversations into the normal patterns of your day. And this may seem intimidating, partly because a lot of kids are not excited about reading the Bible or praying. And they may complain or get distracted or look for shortcuts. When I lived in Georgia, I knew a preacher's kid named Garrett. And one year, on January 1st, Garrett's dad asked him to pray before the meal. And Garrett's prayer went something like this. God, thank you for the food that we're about to eat but I also thank you for all the food that we're going to eat at every meal for the rest of this year. Amen. 
And Garrett was like, so we're good till next January. His parents had to say, um, no, Garrett, that's not how it works. So yeah, you can expect some resistance on this, but it's also not as intimidating as you might think. In our home, we have a habit that we call our thankful things. We got this idea from another family in our church. Every night, or almost every night, we go around and we share one thing that we're thankful for today. And then we pray and we thank God for whatever we mention. It's not complicated, but it is a reminder that even on a bad day, God is blessing us. He's always giving us good gifts. And when we notice those gifts, we are reminded of His love. Now, earlier I said that today's message is based on a simple idea, but I realize these past few minutes may have felt a little overwhelming. And that's why I need to bring up this next strategy. Seek out support. You see, here's the thing. We don't have to tackle this alone. Even if you're a single parent, there is so much help available to you. If you currently have a child at home, the first thing I would recommend is partnering with our kids' ministry and our student ministry. They can provide all kinds of resources like the Parent Q app and take-home papers, which help you carry faith into everyday life. You also get the benefit of connecting your child to a caring adult who can reinforce the lessons you're trying to teach at home. Having that additional positive influence is a huge value. That's one of those dials that you want to turn way up. But I also want to mention a brand new opportunity that's never happened before. Coming up in June, I'm going to be leading a parent and me camp down at Camp Northward, just south of Falmouth. This is the only exception to my sabbatical that's coming up. Now, if you have a child that's going into first through fifth grade in the fall, you want to look into this. It's a Friday evening through a Sunday morning, June 7th through the 9th. And as you can see in the name, it's designed for a parent and child to attend together. So father, son, mother, daughter, father, daughter, mother, son, it doesn't matter. The focus of this weekend will be everything we've talked about today. It's all about helping our kids come to know the love of Jesus and grow closer to him. And it's about giving parents practical tools toward that goal. I had a meeting with our planning team this week, and I'm so excited about how all of this is coming together. This camp will be a lot of fun, but it could also be one of those milestone events in the life of your family. If you're interested in signing up, just go straight to campnorthward.org, scroll down to where it says register. So that's it. I've said what I wanted to say this morning, except for one thing, one last strategy. If we're going to help our kids experience the love of Christ and follow him closely, there is one thing we simply must do. We have to model the main goal. We have to experience the love of Christ in our lives. When I look back at my childhood, I know that my mom and dad did this for me. They weren't perfect, not by a long shot, but I knew they had a genuine relationship with Jesus that was founded on his love. I want to give that same example to my kids. And because of that, I did a scary thing this week. I had a conversation with each of my kids one-on-one, -on -one, and I said, if someone asked you, what does your daddy really love? What would you say? What, what do I care about more than anything? Like I said, that was a scary thing to ask. And I was a little bummed because one of my three children didn't mention God at all. 
the first thing she said was coffee. <laughs> if you know my kids, you probably know which one that was. Um, but the other two did mention my love for them and my love for God. And I was so thankful for that. And I've decided that I need to ask them that question occasionally. Like I said earlier, I've got a long way to go as a parent and as a person. But I know what's true for me, and it's true for you as well. It goes back to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. When we truly experience the love of Christ, we will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So maybe you need to take these words from Ephesians 3 and pray for your child today. Or maybe, just maybe, you need to pray these words for yourself. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your love for us. A love that I admit we do not understand. And that in itself is comforting, that we haven't come close to seeing the height and depth and width and length of your love. Lord, I know uh, sometimes we're tempted to approach parenting or even our relationship with you from a fear-based perspective or an obligation. But that's not your plan. Your plan is for us to know your love. We can love you because we know you have first loved us. But since we don't quite get that yet, Lord, I, I pray that this prayer from Ephesians 3 will transfer to our lives and our family. I pray that we will experience this love. And I pray that everything else will change because of that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.